We are in 1 Kings chapter 15. We're going to finish up the last few verses we have of that and then get into chapter 16. We're going to be looking at six different kings of Israel today. Don't have a whole lot on any of them. One of them is surprisingly influential. It is amazing how much this guy did for as little time as he was in place and for as little respect as the Word of God gives him. I get kind of shocked at it all, but we'll, we'll get to him. Uh, it's not our first guy here. In verse 25, 1 Kings chapter 15, Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. All of these kings are going to be during the reign of Asa. One king in the south, six kings in the north. <laughs> uh, he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the sin by which he made Israel sin. Then Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Basha killed him at Gebethon, which belonged to the Philistines. While Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gebethon, Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And, so, and it was so that he became king, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah, the Shilonite, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned and by which he had made Israel sin, because of his provocation with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Well, not the one that we have. <laughs> it must be uh, one that's just for the kings of Israel because the book of Chronicles we have, you wouldn't even know this guy was there. So, <laughs> there might be one mention of him, but there isn't much about him at all. And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. So here we had Jeroboam, which of course the prophecy was made that uh, you're, you're gone. You didn't do anything that we asked you to do. Basically, as soon as you took the throne, you went the wrong way. So God says, all right, we're going to eliminate you. And he did it in the life of his son. So he only reigned two years and he had someone that was uh, in the kingdom uh, kind of rose up and, and took him out while they were at war with the Philistines. So this is the only son of Jeroboam to reign as king. Uh, as we said, only did for two years. So all of Jeroboam's descendants are put to death according to the word of the Lord. Now, why does Basha do it? Basha kills them. And you're going to see some other areas of Scripture where, where the Lord says he raised up Basha. Which would mean that in a similar way that Jeroboam was raised up, Basha was raised up. Maybe a word of God was given to him. Maybe a prophet came to him and told him the same kind of thing. But he seemed to have followed in the same way of Jeroboam in that he, he executed the plan of God but then did his own thing and followed in the, the sins. We're not given a whole lot of detail of Basha. Uh, we were given a lot more on Jeroboam and we're getting redundant here and I guess the Word of God just says, you know what, we don't need to give these guys a whole lot of time. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but we don't get a whole lot out of all that. But it says, uh, all Jeroboam's descendants were put to death according to the Word of the Lord because of Jeroboam's sin and the sins he led Israel into. So that's the reason for all the descendants being brought into, into that. If this house is going to operate this way, we don't need this house in a position of power. And so God removed him. And so, Jeroboam's only son who would be on the throne is dead. He's gone. He was killed. He was assassinated. In the third year of Asa, king of, ba of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel to Tizra and reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. 
So, if the, if they were writing the Book of Kings today, I am pretty sure that you would either write a macro script or just he keep in in the memory of the thing. Control C, Control Copy. The same thing here. They walked in all the sins of Jeroboam their father, and just just keep pasting that in there at the end of all the kings because there is not a single king in the northern tribe that does not follow in the sins of Jeroboam. Not a single one. Every single one does. So I think you just want to copy and paste and put that because why do you have to keep typing the same thing about these guys? <laughs> I would get a little bit tired of it. And they're handwriting this stuff. So they're actually taking time to write this down on paper and, and put that in there. But he did evil on the sight of the Lord. It wasn't very good uh, for all that. In the third year, well, he, he reigned in Israel at Terza. He reigned 24 years. Did evil. Then uh, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hananiah, against Basha, saying... Now, Jehu is kind of a fun character. Jehu will show up somewhere around 50 years after this. Exact same guy. Son of... Same, same thing. Everything's identical. He is going to show up and he's going to rebuke Jehoshaphat, who is Asa's son. But Asa reigned a lot of years, and Jehoshaphat reigned a number of years. It's estimated somewhere around 50 years. don't know exactly, because we're not given the exact year of the war that uh, he was rebuked for. But when he went out with, to war with Ahab, and he came on back, and uh, Jehu came back, and he's... I, I love this line. I, I put the... Oh, no, I didn't. I had the reference in your outline, but space required. I'd take a lot of stuff out. So... I always do that. I put too much in the outline and I have to start taking stuff out. Well, this isn't as important as this thing is. But anyway, if you want to see that, it's in Second Chronicles chapter 19, specifically verses 2 and 3 are the prophecy, but uh, Second Kings, or Second Chronicles chapter 19 is where the uh, story is told. But I love this line out of chapter 2. And it's a line that we ought to remember even today. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Jehoshaphat was given this word from God because he went over and he helped Ahab. Ahab is an evil king. In giving him assistance, they had gone into battle. Ahab died in that battle. Jehoshaphat comes back. He almost died in that battle. And Jehu meets him. And this is among the things that he says to him, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Man, I'll tell you what. Because sometimes, how many, t- how many people do you see in the, in the Christian church who feel guilty because of some sinners and feel we need to show them kindness, we need to be nice, we need to do these sort of things for them and help them out, maybe we can win them over? Look what he says. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? And I'll tell you what. The, his prophecy there is pretty, pretty short, but he does seem to be a prophet of rebuke. <laughs> but he has... Fifty years transpires. And God trusted him with a word to take to two different kings. I'm imagining that there was a lot of other words that he had for people. Because he was faithful to deliver it. If you're going to be faithful to deliver a bad word to an evil king, <laughs> then more than likely, you know, you'll, you'll be around for the, for the rest of it. But he delivers the, the one word to, to uh, the king in the north and another word to the king in the south. So he's kind of a, you know, uh, he's a north and south prophet he's going going in all the different all the different ways there where do we leave off at in our kings the word of the Lord came to Jehu the son of Hanani against Basha saying inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sin 
Surely I will take away the posterity of Basha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabah. So he follows after the sins of, of, of uh, Jeroboam, and he says, the same fate that came to Jeroboam, I'm going to bring it on you too. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Basha and dies in the city, and the bird shall, of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Now the rest of the acts of Basha, what he did, and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Basha rested with his fathers and was buried in Terza. Then Ella, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha and his house because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord. I numbered these for you. First off, because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord. That's the first reason. In provoking him to anger with the work of his hands. In being, this is number two, in being like the house of Jeroboam and because he killed them. Now, here's what's interesting. The word of the Lord came by the prophet before that Jeroboam and all his house are going to be killed. Basha is raised up and we have more details on this in another person. Remember, Jehu was raised up and Jehu was supposed to kill all the house of Ahab and all the, the, the different ones. He had different ones he was supposed to go out there and kill and he did it. He went out there and he killed them all and he was very, very uh, zealous. And, and he talked about, look how zealous I am for the Lord. <laughs> he, was, he was kind of pleased about all that. But, and God says in the prophecy, I raised you up. Now, if God raised him up to be in this position, it would seem that he also would have to take them out. Because you're not going to take the place of king unless you take out the king that is there. But one of the things that he is being judged for, three things, for the evil they did in the sight of the Lord, in being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed them. So, is it good for God to judge someone who fulfills the prophecy of his prophets? I mean, obviously it's good because God did it. Right? But why is it good? Because God's not going to do anything wrong. He didn't do anything uh, uh, bad. He didn't do anything out of order. Whatever God does is in order. And if we look at it and, and look at a cross-eyed, we're obviously wrong. <laughs> but God's word is consistent. And so we can find out what is it that was done in order for that to happen. So if we get all the way to the end of the outline, we have an answer for it, but we're going to go through the rest of the kings here first. We're going to take a look at what was going on here. So we're going to just kind of put that on hold, but we're going to come back to it here in just a, in just a little bit. So we're going to say goodbye to, to Basha, king of Israel, and we're going to go on because um, uh, Basha has a son. Or, yeah, has a son. In uh, where do we leave off at? Verse 7? So we're at verse 8. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha, became king over Israel and reigned two years in Terza. How long did uh, Jeroboam's son reign? Two years, huh? And this guy reigned how long? And then what happened to him? He is killed. He's assassinated. That's exactly the same way that it happened with the Jeroboam's house, isn't it? Now, a sermon Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terza, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of the house of Terza. And Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year 
of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Then it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on the throne, that he killed all the household of Basha. He did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives, nor of his friends. Does God ever command that the friends of the condemned house to die? Not one time in the Word of God were the friends supposed to die. Only the, the house was wiped out. He, he pronounced the condemnation on houses, but not on their friends. But this guy took it out on all the friends. So is he following after the pattern of God? Therefore, he's probably not doing what God said to do. He's probably doing what Zimri wants to do. So he destroyed all the house of Basha according to the word of the Lord. Now he did according to the word of the Lord, but he is not following the word of the Lord. Understand there's a difference. Just because you did what God said to do doesn't mean you did it because you followed after what God said. Some people do what the word of the Lord says because it works. Because they like to. Because whatever it is, is a, is a good thing. We all, the principle of sowing and reaping works. Well, there's a lot of people who like to do the principle of sowing and reaping just because it works. They don't have any love for the, for the folks or love for God or they're not sowing in, with the same motivation, but they realize that it works. <laughs> I don't do it. Well, Zimri knows if he wants to stay king, we've got to get rid of all those other people. So he gets rid of all those other people because it's better for Zimri. But then he also goes the extra step and he gets rid of all the friends. So... Um, Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Basha according to the word of the Lord which he spoke against Basha by Jehu the prophet for all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah his sons by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin and provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now again we're told that the son the judgment comes because of the sins of the son as well Elah. How, how long was he reigning? Two years. In two years he did enough evil to die. Now, the rest of the acts of Ella and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Do you get the idea that the Word of God does not want to be bothered <laughs> with recording all the things about these folks? Just kind of telling you that they're here. There is one particular bad king that we are given a whole lot of detail on. Anybody remember his name? He's coming up. Ahab. We got a whole lot of detail about Ahab. You know why? <laughs> because of Elijah. That's it. God doesn't care about Ahab a whole lot because Ahab doesn't care about God. There's a few times he turns his heart to God, but he's basically sold out to do evil. But um, Elijah, we're following him. Elijah's a, how many of y'all know he's a big character? We've got to know something about him. He's probably one of the two witnesses coming back, so we ought to know something about him. So, Zimri's gone. Or Zimri's uh, in power now. Ella's gone. So let's take a look at Zimri. In the 27th year of Asa, same king over in Judah, Zimri had reigned in Terza seven days. <laughs> we don't even get to count by months. Seven days. Seven days. He, I wonder how fun that was. I'm king. Yeah, for seven days. And the people were encamped against Gebethon. That's, that town's going to come up again, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it said, Zimri has conspired and has also killed the king. So all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in camp. Then Omri and all of Israel went uh, with him, went up from Gebethon, and they besieged Terzah. So they were in battle with the Philistines. The word comes that Zimri kills the king, who's not in battle. Where are most kings supposed to be? In battle. In battle. 
he's not in battle. He's uh, someplace else. So, if your commander is not with the troops where he's supposed to be, yeah, that's right, he was drinking, wasn't he? He was out there drinking. <laughs> so, you can kind of see that there's probably a rift between the king and the army. Not real happy, but when they hear that he's dead, they don't, aren't too pleased that somebody killed him and somebody else took over as king. We don't know who this guy is. He's going to try and be commander of us. Let's go get him. And so they take Omri, who is there in the battle, and Omri is a formidable general. We don't know a word about this from the word of God, but we know it from history. This guy was a general. This guy was a commander. This guy could take people out. He was good. So they said, we're going to make you king. We'd rather have you king than this Zimri guy. And uh, let's go over to the city. Let's take the city. Let's kill him. And let's put you in as king. That was their plan. But remember, they were in battle with the Philistines at Kabethon. So they, they make Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. We're not in the city. We're not in the capital. We're in the camp. But, you know, we got the power. <laughs> this is, the, you know, a lot of times uh, generals in small third world countries, they rise up and they get the army on their side. If you get the army on your side, you're in good shape. And they rebel. That's kind of what's going on here. And then Omri and all of Israel went with him, went up from Gebethon and they besieged Terza. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died. I don't know. That's not a smart way to commit suicide. If you're going to kill yourself, I can think of better ways than burning a house down upon you. That's just, that doesn't sound like a real good way to do it. And, and you wonder about it. How well do king's houses burn? Because what are they made out of? Usually stone. You know, there's usually a lot of stone in there. I don't know how much wood. It, I guess there's got to be some because it burned. And stone doesn't burn. But anyway, that's, that's not, not, I think uh, I saw this note. There's about four suicides in the Word of God. Uh, this is one. Saul, he was another one. He uh, fell on his sword. And there's a, there's a handful of other ones that are out there too. Uh, Ahithophel was one. He committed suicide. And uh, I'm trying to think of who the... Judas. Judas, yeah. He's, he's, I guess he's the other one. I was thinking there was somebody else in the Old Testament. But anyway, um, not a whole lot of description of suicide. How many have ever heard that suicide is the unpardonable sin, that if you commit suicide, you're going to go to hell? Yeah, it's garbage. That doesn't mean go out and commit suicide. It's just, it's just, people have developed an opinion. What does the Word of God say about suicide? Absolutely nothing. So what opinion should you have on the, on the topic of suicide? Absolutely none. Just it's a good idea not to do it. You know, just stay here. <laughs> do what God says to do. I hate to get up there and say, God says, why are you here? You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be down. I got a purpose for you. <laughs> I decided I didn't want to do it. That's right. Man, I tell you, I cannot imagine doing that. Uh, uh, I would, I would not want to be doing that. So anyway, uh, all these people, it's, it's all, it's all doctrine. I don't know why they feel like pushing that, but there are some places, especially the Catholic Church, I know is one of them. They push that strong. They push that real strong, and there's no scripture on it at all, none. Of course, there's a lot of churches out there. You don't need to have any scripture to have an opinion. How many of y'all know that's true? We got some churches out there. They got real, real strong opinions about what you should do with dance. How many people know that if you dance, you go to hell? I grew up in a church like that. <laughs> I know it. There's no scripture on it, but if you dance, you go to hell. 
They, they did this too. I wasn't, I wasn't quite around enough to get this, but the church I grew up in, if you went to the movies, you went to hell. You're on your way to hell. You don't go to movies. That's just the way that it is. Where's the scripture on it? Well, there is no scripture on it. Of course, they didn't have movie theaters either. When they had the... All that stuff wasn't going on. But it don't matter. That didn't stop us. <laughs> we, we still tell you, you're all going to hell. If you go to movies, you're going to hell. If you dance, you're going to hell. There's all kinds of stuff that you're going to hell for. It's not in the Bible. I mean, you go to hell if you smoke cigarettes. They didn't have cigarettes in the Bible. But if they did, there would have been a verse of Scripture telling you that you would be going to hell if you... <laughs> We've got to be careful of having opinions on all these things that are sending you to hell when there's no Scripture on it. What sends you to hell? Not accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. That's what sends you to hell. We ought to focus in on that one. Get him in there being our Savior. Don't worry about this other stuff. You've got folks out there talking about all sorts of things from there. And, you know, if you dye your hair purple, then you're, you're going to hell. You know, if you get tattoos, you're going to hell. How many other things can we think of? I mean, come on, they're all, they're all over on this thing. I don't know what the Word of God is, 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 has to say about it, but I have no tattoos, but it has nothing to do with the Word of God. <laughs> I, I, I just I don't want to. That's all. <laughs> but there's nothing, about, there's nothing about it in the Word of God. It's not an opinion. It's an opinion people have, but it's not one founded on the Word of God. But take it up with Him. You know, people come to me. A lot, I used to have people come into youth group, and they'd say, what do, you, what do you think about this? And I'd say, well, what's the Bible say about it? Well, I don't know. That's what we're coming to you for. You don't know what the Bible says about it? No. Well, find out what the Bible says about it. Then come to me and talk to me. I sent them back on home. Go, they, we couldn't find anything about it. That's because they didn't say anything about it. You know, why don't you just tell us that? Well, that's no fun. <laughs> Make them find out. If the Bible doesn't have an opinion about it, then go to God. And say, God, is it okay if I do this? If God says, I don't care. And do it. But how I many you don't know, even if we did something and God says, I didn't like that, we just say, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know you didn't want me to do that. And he'll forgive you. And you can get right on back in. And stop looking at people funny because their hair's purple or they're smoking cigarettes or they're drinking or they're going to movie houses or they're out there in the clubs dancing and, and stuff like that. We've got to stop having all these opinions about things. I'll tell you what. Anyway, how do we get off on that? What were we on? Verse 18. Had to be something good in there, right? Oh, a suicide. We were talking about that. Yeah. So be careful of the things you develop opinions about. If it's not in the Word of God, you really don't need to have an opinion about it. It took me a long time to figure that out. Because I had opinions about everything. <laughs> and I could argue those opinions about everything. I mean, scriptural. I didn't, I didn't talk about worldly stuff. I meant scriptural stuff. I remember one time I, I was in college, I could argue you on anything. I knew every topic, it seemed, and I could argue it with you. It was stupid. <laughs> it was ridiculous. There was no point in it. And one time I came back to the youth group that I had been in, and um, they were arguing about church membership. How important church membership was, whether you can go to heaven without being a member of a church, all this sort of stuff. And I sat there and was totally quiet. Didn't say a word. And they kept glancing over me. I'm sure Steve's going to kick, kick in here and give an opinion. Surely he's going to getting here because I always did always did and uh, there was another guy who was over he wasn't involved in the conversation and so uh, we went on over and hey, I grabbed him and it says hey have you teach me this game I think what was that game with the, the discs that were white on one side and black on the other yeah that one I never played the game 
he liked playing the game. I said, why don't you teach me how to play this game? We sat over there and he taught me how to play the game. We played the game for a little while. We spent the night doing that. They kept glancing over. Surely he's going to say something. Surely he's going to say something. And, they, and then finally they got tired of waiting. They said, Steve, don't you have an opinion on this? I, say, I said, well, if the Bible doesn't say anything about church membership, why should I? That was it. <laughs> we went back to playing the game. I heard um, somebody was just talking about it just recently. I was listening to somebody. They said, uh, you know, if, it's, it takes longer to become a member of some churches than it does the family of God. I thought, ooh, man. <laughs> That's true. 13 week seminar. How to become a member of this church. How, do, how long does it take to become a member of the family of God? Hmm. I don't know. If our, membership, if our membership classes for churches is longer than becoming a member of the family of God, we might have a problem. But anyway, for some people, that's a passionate thing. You've got to be a member of a church. You've got to have your... Uh, be careful having opinions that are outside the Word of God. And understand this, folks. We all got them. You, me, we all have opinions outside the Word of God. Just be careful. Recognize it when you have it. You can have the opinion, but don't be dogmatic about it that you've got to push this off on everybody else. That's a place that you've come to. That's a conviction that you've come to. That's not necessarily one that came from the Word of God. If you can't support it in the Word, probably isn't worth having it. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel house, yeah, we already said that, because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil, in verse 19, in the sight of the Lord, and walking in the way of Jeroboam, and the sin which he had commanded to make Israel sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri, the treason he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Now Zimri killed the, the uh, king at the time, right? And the word of God calls it here what? Treason. Hmm. That doesn't sound like it was very favorable to him doing it. And yet the word of the Lord was that that household would be wiped out. And Zimri comes in and doesn't Zimri do it? He does it. He does what the word of the Lord said, but he didn't do it for the Right reasons. He didn't do it because the word of the Lord told him. He didn't do it because the Lord called him to do something like that. He just did it because Zimri wanted to do it. And that's not necessarily a good thing. So anyway, he reigned for seven days. They came in. They attacked the city. Took the city. And let um, me go into verse 21. Then the people of Israel were divided. Can you imagine that? People divided. They were divided in two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni the son of Ginnath, I have no idea where he came from, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath. Now, this battle went on for a while. This battle between the two. You're going to see that um, overall, this is the time that Omri, Omri reigned and so forth. It's about 12 years plus the, the time here. But it says that he reigned as king over all the land for about six years. Something that's around six years. So if he reigned for 12 years, then that's going to put it somewhere between five and six. He may have reigned six, six and a half, maybe five and a half years that he was, this battle was going on. But it was, a, it was almost half of that time all this was, was happening. And uh, Omni, uh, he, he won out. Now, he's got the army on his side. I don't know who the other guys got on his side, but anyway, there was at least enough people that they put up a formidable defense for... Uh, Five, five and a half, six years, somewhere in that neck of the woods. Let's take a look at some of the things that Omri does. 
but the people who followed Ami prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ganath. So Tibni died and Ami reigned. Why do you think Tibni died? There's a pattern that's been going on here. Because the new king does what? Kills the old. He kills anybody who's a contender. And this guy was a contender. So he, um, he killed him. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Amri became king over Israel. Now this whole thing started in the 27th year. We're now in the 31st year, which is about five years. So it could have been five, five and a half, something in that neck of the woods. Amri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Six years he'd reigned in Terzah. Now it could be six years, counted as six years, but it might be something like six and a half and five and a half on the other side, making a total of 12. It can be anything of that. It may have been six years and five and a half years, making eleven and a half years, making a total of twelve. It's you know they they don't always look at the half years in there. They they round up a lot of times. But look at this. And he bought the hill of Samaria from Shamir for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria after the name of Shamir, owner of the hill. Now, Shamir, I get rid of that S, and I guess it's pretty close to it, but um, somehow he, he felt like he was honoring this guy by naming the city after him. So Samaria, I mean, all know Samaria is a pretty important city. It becomes the capital of the northern tribes. And this is the guy who built it. He builds a pretty good fortification because this thing withstood at least two sieges. It's up on a hill. I think it's called the 100 Meter high hill or something like that so it's it's a substantial hill for for a battle you have to get up the hill they got walls probably all around part of the hill there so they made it uh, pretty tough to get to Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord he did worse than all who were before him <laughs> so we know how bad things were before and Omri takes that and he steps it up a little he says you think they were bad I'm going to be worse yeah he decided he, uh, he's going to be more of an idol worshiper. He's going to be more evil. He's, whatever it is that they did, he did it much more. So he did worse than all before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nabot, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Isn't it great to be Jeroboam? Everyone is compared to you. And they keep coming back to you. David, we compare good things to David. We compare bad things to Jeroboam. And in his sin by which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God to visual to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. Ahab has the worst king of Israel to date as his father. You, know, you think, Luke, I am your father is bad. Um, this is, <laughs> he's got Omri. <laughs> Maybe uh, was it Luke had Darth Vader as a, as a father, as an evil father. Well, he had Omri. The worst king of all the ones that were in the back uh, uh, and before him. And God judged them quickly. Jeroboam, one generation, judged house gone. Each one. One generation, house gone. Zimri, seven days. How evil can you be in several days? But uh, God judged them and, and moved them out. So he built Samaria. It seems that he had formulated some laws. 
So in the six years that he reigned over all Israel and the years that were before that, he wrote down, formulated some laws in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 16, it refers to them. So his laws that he wrote down were passed on and survived all the way up until the time of Micah. Now in the records of secular history, Omri is one of the more successful and famous kings of ancient Israel, the northern tribes. As far as a war, warring king was going on, Omri was, was pretty good. I wrote this in mine. Omri's fame as a monarch, while downplayed by the author of Kings, was widely recognized in other places. The Moabite stone discovered in 1868 refers to him as the conqueror of Moab. Assyrian inscriptions make mention of him as a great warrior. For years, the Assyrians referred to Israel as the house of Omri. If you've ever heard that phrase, this is the guy who, who got it. So, six years over the entire land, six years battling for civil war and such, but in six years, this guy did some remarkable things. He built what would become the capital. He built a formidable fortress as a capital. He wrote laws and he became known in all the countries around him as a great warrior in six years. Could you imagine what he could have done if he was born again, following after God, called by God and did things in, in that way? Man, that would be something else. Now his son, Ahab, takes what Omri did and even raises it to a higher level. He is a very good warring king for Israel. He actually brings him into, I think it's described as the highest state of power that the northern tribe has is under Ahab. Ahab reigned a lot longer. So let's get back to this question here. How does God look at people fulfilling the word of God when they're not really pursuing God, when they're not really following after God, when they're not really doing it because God commissioned them or God hired them or God said, go out there and do this thing. And even when we have Basha, where it seems like God called Basha, like he called Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was instructed on, on, on things to do and how he was supposed to take that. He didn't have to kill anybody, but he was supposed to do certain things. He didn't follow after it. He said his house was going to be wiped out and his house was wiped out. And Basha was raised up to do it. But apparently God says, because you killed them, I'm going to judge you. So that doesn't seem quite right. So I thought about that for a little while. I said, well, how can that be? So this is what we, we kind of summarize it into this thing, put it here at the end. Passion for God's plan without the stabilization from God's love. Passion for God's plan without the stabilization from God's love, brings a replication of God's judgment. Passion for God's plan. God's plan was, Jeroboam's house is going to be wiped out. Without the stabilization of God's love, brings a replication of God's judgment. This is the principle you actually see in several places in the scripture. If you, 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 can, you, know, you know enough of the stories that are in the Bible. You can begin to think on some of those and ponder on some of those and, and uh, see the same thing going on. But God doesn't want us to just do, have a passion for doing what God wants done. It needs to be, it needs to have the love of God come in as well. There are the Pharisees who had a seeming passion for the law of God. But where was the love of God? It wasn't there. And what did it bring upon them? Judgment. Judgment came on them. You can have passion for the things of God, but without the love of God to come in and temper it. 
without the love of God to come in and bring that into, into play. You can come into a place of judgment. The Word of God says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. In the same way that you judge, it will be uh, measured out to you. We've got to be careful. We've got to bring that love of God into us. The New Testament teaches us that when you find a brother in sin, go up and restore that one with a spirit of meekness, knowing that you too could fall. It brings in some, some love there. When Jesus is, is uh, confronting the people who brought the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, they are passionate about the law of God. Mm-hmm. Moses' law says we should stone her. But what do you say? What's Jesus doing? He's taking the law of God and bringing in the love of God and coming up with a final synopsis. What's he say to the woman? Where are your accusers? Uh, they've gone. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. See, he had a passion for the things of God, but it was always tempered with the love of God. And that's what we have to make sure that we do. Too many times in history, too many times in the Word of God, we've seen people who have the passion for the things of God, but are not tempered with the love of God. We've got to make sure that we do that. The love of God has to come in. If Basha would have had a love of God, there would have been a love for his word. There would have been a love for his worship. There would have been a love for his purpose. There would have been a love for his people. And he is absent of all those things. And so all he does is he comes in and he executes what God said one had done. But he doesn't care about all the other things that God cares about. And what happens in the end? Judgment is replicated exactly on his house as it was the house before. Can you imagine a person who comes in to carry out a judgment on a house to only follow in exactly the same way that they did? What do you think? That someone's not going to be raised up to take you out? If you were raised up to take out that house, would not God raise up someone to take out your house? If you know that God raised you up to do this, don't you know He's going to raise someone else up if you don't? But we, we don't do the history. We don't have to go back into history. Basha did not have to go out in any history at all. He just had to remember. No one had to teach him the history of the ancient Israel. He just had to remember the yesterday. That's all he had to do. But he didn't do it. He didn't remember. The children of Israel come into the land of Canaan. And God even says before they get there, now look, get rid of all their idols. Because I'm judging them in the land because they worship these idols. Now when you go in there, don't you go worshiping those idols. Because you go worshiping those idols, I've got to judge you too. So what do they do? They go in the land. They worship their idols. And what's God got to do? I got to judge you. Because you went in the same way that, that they did. There wasn't the love of God that came in to... Got to have that love of God. It's such an important thing to do. Don't just be passionate about the things of God. Don't be, just be passionate about the law of God. Or the statutes of God. Or to make sure that everyone is lined up and doing the things and not doing the things and, and not dancing and not drinking and not smoking, all these different things. Bring in the love of God. Because that's what we need to have. If we bring in the love of God, we stop rejecting people because of what they have or they don't have. Because of what they do or they don't do. And we go back to the Word of God. We help people out with, with that. The love of God. That's what was missing in these folks. 
The love of God will take you into a place in worship. The love of God will take you to a place about His Word. And the love of God will help you in your relationship with other people. Without that, oh, I'll tell you what, the passion we have for the things of God can get out of hand. We can start doing some things we shouldn't be doing. And then God will judge us for it. Just like He did Basha. Even though God wanted what done what He wanted done, He didn't do it in the right way. And judgment came upon him. Oh, that we see the importance of the love of God. David had that love of God. Amen. Boy, I tell you, when you see them deal with the house of Saul, he had that love of God that came in. Even when he had the opportunity to kill him, what's he do? No, no, that's, that's for God to do. That's for God to do. Always has that love of God. He loved God. Because of his love for God, hey, that's God's job. That's God's thing to do. It's not mine. And that always kept him in check, kept him in balance, except for a handful of times. <laughs> a handful of times he, he kind of got out of there and kind of lost that love a little bit, but he got it back, and he came on, on back into the right spot. Look around at the people that were, were near, that were, were here to help. Don't be sitting there judging them because of their blue hair and the <laughs> cigarette pack they got in their back pocket or anything like that. God's here to help them. God's here to love them. Don't just be passionate about the things of God, the law of God. Make sure that we stay equally on the side of the love of God. Father, we thank you that you've given us great examples in the Word of God. People like David, people like Moses, Jesus, Paul, Peter, people who were passionate about the things of God, but let the love of God guide them and direct them and ground them. Father, we want to have that going on in our life too. I thank you for the, the help that you give us in our life to always make sure that the love of God is first and foremost. We let that guide and dictate us. So we read the Word of God and we develop beliefs. The love of God is always there because your love is all through your Word. As the Word of God tells us, God as to His nature is love. We want to take on that same nature. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the way that you developed that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.